Hello, TFC community. Welcome to episode number two of Black and White Conversations. Ashley and I are doing a series of six episodes with the intention of improving understanding and sharing our life and learning experiences to help bring awareness to the issue of racism. Our hope is that these episodes will invite anyone of any color, of any background, to engage in the learning process with us. We know that racism still exists, but until we have open conversations without the fear of saying the wrong thing, it's going to be really difficult to come together and build a better society. These podcasts will be on the Foot Collective YouTube channel. And before every new episode we record, we're going to make sure to check out the comments and respond to any questions or inputs that people might have. So feel free to comment there if you'd like to say anything. Black and white conversations are all about learning, so there's no sponsors. But if you want to check out more resources and go deeper into your learning journey, you can head to thefootcollective.com and click on the Understanding Racism tab where you'll be able to find these podcasts, other podcasts, movies, and even books. In this second episode, Ashley and I talk about slavery, privilege, personal responsibility, and we also talk about some of the problems with social media when it comes to a topic like racism. As always, it was a pleasure speaking with Ashley, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's dig into it. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome to our second episode of Black and White Conversations, where Ashley Harper and I have conversations to help improve the understanding uh, or improve our understanding of racism. And, you know, our aim is to contribute constructive input to this global conversation and to share our learning journeys and stories. So thanks for taking the time on another Saturday morning, Ashley. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Nick. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I always look forward to these. It seems weird that a month has already passed by. It seems like we had this last conversation like a week ago i know tom just it just flies by it just it just doesn't wait you know just everything just moves so fast absolutely exactly so i checked um the youtube uh upload of our first episode this morning there was no comments uh there were a bunch of people listening to it which was cool to see but no comments there to riff on um and if you didn't hear the first episode it was basically ashley and i introducing ourselves uh, we talked a little bit about slavery and sort of the history of American colonization. Um, but, you know, the, the title of this show is called Black and White Conversations. And it's, it's one of those things where it's not about black going black and white in terms of taking perspectives. It's about digging into the gray. And so today uh, we're going to start digging a little bit deeper into uh, the history of slavery and share some interesting things that we've learned. And then we're going to talk about white privilege. And I'd like to do a couple special mentions, one for the book, Anti-White Fragility, because I think there's some stuff to be said there. And then, uh, like I said, Ashley, I think it would be nice to talk about um, some of the features that I've learned are embedded into social media, because I think that's contributing to some of the divisiveness. And if people understand why that's happening, it might help the conversation. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, where do you want to start? I'll, uh, I'll let you sort of lead the way and we'll go from there. Well, 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 look what the cat drug in. <laughs> no, <laughs> no um, I'm, of course, I'm so honored to be here, Nick, and I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity again. Um, for the listeners who may be joining us for the second podcast, and maybe you haven't listened to the first one yet, but my name is Ashley Harper. And I'm joining Nick on this journey to, like he said, just discuss the gray area between black and white conversations. Um, and our whole purpose of having this conversation is not to bash anyone. You know, we're not on 
the polar ends of the spectrum in opinion or um, even knowledge, if you will, where we are literally in the gray area. We're in the middle. We're seeking knowledge. We want to learn. We want to make an impact. We want to make a difference. And so that's the purpose of us having these podcasts. And I just want to encourage you all to, you know, continue listening. Definitely go check out the first podcast where we just kind of establish those things. You know, we just want to be able to share knowledge that we all have. In the first podcast, Nick and I talked about, you know, we're not experts here. We're not historians, but we are both people with experiences. We both love knowledge and that's something that we crave and is really the animus behind what we do every single day. Um, You know, we realize that nothing is really absolute. It's just kind of all circumstantial. You know, everyone's experiences are seen through a different lens. So we all have, you know, a different perspective. So ultimately, we're just fostering an environment um, where we can all secure some emotional intelligence um, and just, you know, encourage everyone to think critically, just to take the information that you learn or that you hear and just don't take it for, you know, just just take it for what you see, but but delve into it. Don't be afraid to dig into the unknown. Um, if you haven't heard the Foot Collective's podcast, I, I believe it's number 52, where Nick and Mike talk about emotional intelligence. That's a really good podcast. Um, and it actually might help supplement or fill in the gray area between, you know, podcast one and two. Um, because, you know, it, it is an emotionally charged topic, you know, and it's an emotionally charged real life, factual, actual experience. And so, you know, it's kind of like before you watch a movie, how they tell you it's rated R for everything. I mean, there's going to be some words and things that aren't really desirable that we don't want to hear that we don't want to face, but they're facts. And you know, it's truth. And I think the only way you can really break barriers and move mountains in your life and in situations is you have, you have to be able to, to see that truth. You have to be able to accept it, embrace it. And then that can lead to, um, you know, change. Um, and, you know, with everyone being here and being willing to listen, like Nick said, we didn't see any comments on the first podcast, but Um, you know, with this second podcast, I really encourage you all, please, you know, ask questions if you have questions, if um, at minimum, you know, ask for clarity if there's anything. And if you're an expert out there or specialist and you kind of, there's something that we say that may not be as correct, or, you know, if you have some resources that you can share with us that would help us grow. And then also, our listeners, please, we invite you here too. Again, we're not the specialists. We just want to, we want to use our resources to help make a change in such a divisive time. Um, so really the only thing that I, you know, want to say is just for us to have just the basic ground rule of mutual respect. You know, we come here in love and as love and we honor and respect everyone's perspectives and experiences. And so, I just wanted to add that to the intro. That is a great <laughs> addition to the intro. And I think 
<laughs> yeah, that was very well said. And I think there's a difference between disagreement and dislike. And I think sometimes that that line between those two can become blurry because we're humans, we're emotional creatures. Um, and unless, like you said, unless we're attuned with our emotions and can, and can kind of acknowledge them, process them, um, and just kind of sit with them, it can be hard to differentiate disagreement from dislike, right? It's really easy to, to dislike the person that's saying something instead of focusing on potential disagreements that you have with what they're saying. So it's a difference between disagreeing with someone's argument versus disliking the human themselves. And being able to differentiate those two things is very important because I'll often see discussions or debates that go wrong. And they go wrong when people start attacking each other personally or dismissing each other's perspective instead of really trying to listen to it. Um, and I think that's really important because things can get divisive very quickly and often unintentionally. So you have to have just a higher level of understanding your own emotions, um, your own biases, all that kind of stuff. And it's all part of the work, right? Like you said, we're not the experts. We don't claim to know everything. TFC has always been sort of a channel to share the learning experience that's happening um, from people inside TFC or, you know, my learning journey, all the foot nerds. So we're just here to share our experience. I think it gives us uh, a nice excuse to, to learn about things that maybe we wouldn't be putting in as much effort if we weren't having these conversations. Um, so yeah, um, let's talk about, so we talked a little bit about slavery in the first one, but I think, um, my understanding and knowledge about slavery, because certainly, I mean, slavery doesn't exist today, but it did exist in the past. And I think there's a lot of vestiges of that culture that have, um, resulted in, in different things happening today that are based on that experience. So I think understanding slavery, where it came from, how it materialized, but also more importantly, one thing that I learned was how it shifted, right? We went from a culture that had slaves to a slave culture, and those are very different things. Um, and so let's, why don't we dig into that a little bit? I'll let yeah. You well said. Yeah, we definitely went from, how did you say that? Say that again. You said uh, we went. A society with slaves, yeah. uh, which treats, treats everyone as uh, humans um, and you know, a slave was essentially someone who, uh, it, I mean, it's still pretty dark, right? It's you're looking at a human as a piece of property that is there to provide you with labor. So a society with slaves was a society where slaves were part of the culture. But a slave society is very different. It's one in which um, people basically get dehumanized. And we start to view uh, other human beings in a in a very different way as a way to justify the slave society. Yeah. And, and it, it, you know, I listened to a podcast. I can't remember the podcast name, but they did a series of them and they talked about the phases of slavery and how initially, um, you know, well, one thing that I found really obvious was, was when they said racism didn't create slavery. Racism was a way to justify slavery and pit white and black people against each other in order to maintain the slave society, which was, I found very curious. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, slavery is really interesting because, um, you know, well, first and foremost, I have to say, I'm, I'm drinking this matcha tea and it is wonderful. And <laughs> you, I don't know, did I tell you last time that I was drinking matcha tea? No. Okay. Have you ever drank matcha tea? I have. Yeah, I have some in the house right now. 
oh, okay. And what do you think about it? I like it. I still like coffee. Um, I'll have matcha sometimes, but it is definitely a, I find the physical effects of matcha versus coffee are very, very similar. Um, mm-hmm. There's just something about, you know, we have this podcast sponsor, this company that sends beans that are kind of roasted from all different places in the world. And so I kind of like that. It's almost like an experience when I have mm, coffee. But, okay. Um, what got you into matcha tea? You know, I was at the mall one day. I worked at the mall. It was really early one morning and there was this really cool, cool tea place. It was called Tivana. Okay. Okay. So you're familiar. We have that here. I think it's owned by Starbucks actually. Yes, it is. I think they bought them out maybe a year or so ago, but here they actually bought Tivana and then did away with the stores. But that whole experience of walking in and, you know, they open the big tin cans and you get to, you know, have your loose leaf tea measured and, you know, X, Y, Z. So I'm at the mall working one morning and I noticed this lady has a Tivana cup, like a brew tea. So I go downstairs and I'm like, oh, it's really early. I don't know what I want. I'm being indecisive. And <laughs> this lady goes, oh, you should try matcha. And I thought, to myself, okay, self, well, you know, I'll try anything once, maybe twice, but like it. So I'm like, I'll have a matcha. And I, I take the first sip. And my first thought was what demon from the pit of the earth would create such a disgusting tea? That was my honest first thought. And I never tried it again for like four years. And then recently, maybe I'd say within the past seven months, I don't know what possessed me to try it again. I think I was looking for something similar to coffee, but I, I was looking for like slightly different effects, like maybe not that initial spike and crash. And so I, I don't know, I just revisited matcha and now it's like, you know, this is my, my thing. This is my, you know, that, in that, that feeling I was telling you, on the first podcast as you know, with the rainbow, have you found that sound bit yet? I'm sure you haven't. Um, you have to find it. Okay. So you have to like surprise us in, in the whole podcast. I have to hear it one time, I'll try. Um, I'll try. <laughs> but that's what I feel like when I drink this. So nice. anyway, um, that was a, a nice little side note, but anyway, um, so slavery. Um, so, you know, it, when you Google slavery, you know, you get, there's different, you know, of course, areas that you can find different definitions, but overall, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, but then, you know, you kind of, the word slavery, even without knowing the, you know, dictionary definition, um, it just really evokes a lot of um, really sad and dark emotions when you hear about slavery. Um and I think once you once you look up the word and just kind of mix it in with how you with your personal what you really believe or your personal feelings of slavery, um, then you can automatically start to kind of count it or basically say what slavery is not, right? So we all learn about slavery and what it was, but sometimes it might just take the perspective of thinking about what slavery was not. So it wasn't freedom. It wasn't a choice that you had um, most of the time. Um, 
So it, it just wasn't really not a cool thing, obviously, not a not a cool word, if you will, or thing. Um, but it but it has world connections. Slavery's been a lo- around for since like the beginning, beginning of time. Um, if you're looking at like the Roman Empire, you're looking at the Arab Empire, those date back all the way to the seventh century. And that was, you know, the lucrative form of business around that time. It wasn't limited to America. It didn't start in America. And unfortunately, because there's such a displacement, you know, the, the time frame has been so long ago, when you don't inquire and you don't dig into these facts and the knowledge that's there, then you might believe that history starts here. And it's important to kind of go backwards a little bit just to kind of get an idea into, um, you know, just to, to understand how the history affects, you know, the modern day issues that we were having with slavery. Um, but yeah, it wasn't limited to, limited to America. It didn't start here. Um, most all ancient civilizations practiced, um, you know, slavery, uh, Sumerians, the Babylonians, like I said, the Ottoman Empire, the, you know, the Roman Empire, the Arab Empire. Um, back then, it was mostly, slaves were mostly acquired through warfare. So when you had these different tribes, I mean, you think about Europe or what we perceive as Europe around that time, you have so many dynasties and um, towns that are starting to expand rapidly. You have, you know, nomads coming this way. You have Mongols. I mean, you have all, so it's really just like this huge melting pot of land, really. Um, And so when everyone's, you know, there's warfare, there's fighting. And so slaveries or slaves were mainly, you know, taken captive during that process. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, back then slaves in the ancient times, they really, they were they weren't really for personal use. It was mainly for kings, like property of kings and priests. Um, they hired slaves for temples, so there were eunuchs um, that they would hire to guard the palaces and the harems that had the women. Um, and of course, those slaves, you know, couldn't have offspring, but those were a type of slave that they had back in the ancient times. And as you were saying, Nick, earlier they were initially employed as servitude. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have them tilling the fields, tending to flock, um, doing house work, uh, things like that. There was very little economic production that was happening, with, you know, by slaves. That was really left to, like, farmers tenants, sharecroppers, um, you know, artisans that were doing their thing, journeymen. um, But they really, like you said, they just really kind of started off as servitude. Uh, Is there anything you want to add to that? (laughs) Well, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, some people have a, and certainly I'm included in that before I started looking into this, a weird notion of slavery where it's this brutal, um, super savage sort of thing um, because we all have the, we all kind of envision the worst of the worst when it came to slavery in the United States. And, you know, you watch, if you watch 12 Years a Slave or you watch a movie that features, 
you know, a historical account of slavery designed for the big screen. So automatically there's some form of um, art to it that makes it more impactful to people, even if it's not necessarily a complete recollection of the truth. But that's what people, that's what I thought of slavery. And when, you, when I looked into it, you're right. It, to get a broader context, slavery has existed like basically since we have any kind of documentation on paper. So it might be older than writing itself. Um, but slavery wasn't always this brutal thing. Like it was, um, you know, slaves were treated as humans. Um, they were a part of society, right? They weren't looked at as subhuman. Um, and, you know, there were white slaves, there were black slaves, there were slaves of all kinds. And, and you know, the pyramids were probably built by what you could consider slaves, um, you know, peasants that were forced to do the work of the empire. And it wasn't, you know, so I think that perspective broadens the, the definition of slavery and, and potential emotions that it might evoke. Um, but it definitely, when we go to the United States, I think it started off as something like that, where you had indentured servitude, you had slaves that started to come over as part of the Atlantic slave trade. Um, and initially, you know, white slaves, white indentured servants and black slaves uh, from Africa would work together. You know, like there's pictures of, um, a white person and a black person both holding a saw and working together to saw something. And, and you see how it's like, okay, well, they're looked as, as equals. And from what I saw, you know, one thing I learned, which I found very interesting is that, you know, most slaves from the Atlantic slave trade um, went to actually the Caribbean and Brazil and only about 5% of them went to the United States, which I thought was like a weird number because you, you, you know, when I thought Atlantic slave trade, I thought, okay, they're all going to the United States, but only about 5% went there. And another thing that I found very curious was that, you know, I think my perception of the, Af the Atlantic slave trade from Africa was that slaves literally were just captured. Like people from the United States, white people would go over and capture people from Africa, but it was actually, slaves were obtained by Europeans through trade, not, not by capture. So African tribes were in battle with each other and part of the spoils of, of war, if you won sort of a battle between tribes, is you captured other people from the other tribe. And then Africans would then trade those people um, to Europeans for tools and weapons and animals. And so it wasn't, it just kind of disrupted my perception of people getting captured to um, the reality that people were actually captured by other African tribes and then traded to Europeans in exchange for an uh, exchange for, like I said, weapons or tools and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Very yeah. And, um, you know, I think, you know, where things start to where, where the emotional element comes into it, because I mean, if, you know, for all just being honest and just really thinking about our own personal experiences or even, you know, for hopefully no one, hopefully no one really experiences this. And I mean, I know the reality is that 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 is still something that happens. There's all modern types of, of slavery, right? That some people do experience. Um, and, but like you said, it, in the beginning, it wasn't intended to be that way, but there's still that factor that someone has power over you. Yeah. And even if, you're just serving in their home in the, in 700 AD as a cook, you still belong to someone. Your life still belongs to someone. And no matter how good that person is to you, they may be good to you. You know, there's, 
some slaves that actually had no issues with, you know, their master. They, they came up with an agreement or a contract in the beginning. They, you know, do everything is set forth that that was in their contract. And then their, you know, their master frees them and they're able to be free and have property and, and have a life. Um, so there are some that I'm sure did not have that experience that, that felt like a slave, but ultimately they still were slaves at any given moment. It just, you know, we all have that, like you say, that there's a polarization of everything in life. Mm -hmm. So maybe it would have taken an experience of the master, um, a bad day, or maybe an experience where there's a death in the family. They've never had a death in the family. And it might've just taken one day for them to grieve the wrong way and mistreat that slave, you know, so you're still a slave. Um, and then when you think about more emotional elements start to come into the picture, when you think about, okay, these serves are in a position of servitude, right? So they're not in economic production. They don't have a lot of heavy labor they're doing yet. They still couldn't attend religious functions. They still couldn't hold office or any jurisdiction positions. They had no legal powers, um, couldn't have property or inherit anything. They couldn't enter into any contracts. You did see some slaves entering into contracts with their masters, um, sometimes like for their freedom in the ancient empires. Um, and then when they fulfilled that, you know, they could, a lot of times they were freed. Uh, let's see what else, you know, sometimes the fines, uh, if a slave incurred any fines, the owner was responsible for that fine. And so that might've, you know, contributed to also a shift in slavery. I mean, if you're thinking about a slave and, and, and what kind of fine would a slave incur? Would it, would it be that they, they didn't pick enough cotton or maybe the quality of cotton they were picking wasn't right or sugarcane or whatever they were doing in their servitude position. But the fine was that of the, the owner. So that might contribute to a shift in the treatment of the slaves. Um, because I mean, if anybody, you know, becomes a liability to you and now you're losing money because of something like an employee, then sometimes the treatment starts to become different. Um, and like you were saying, there were different types of slaves. There were slaves that were employed as servitude, but there was also, there were also military slaves. Uh, there were slaves that were, you know, bought and purchased for strictly performance. And that really kind of depends on where that slave came from. Because again, slavery is not, it's not new. So slaves came from all over uh, the world. I mean, slaves came from, you know, Central and Eastern Europe, Turkey, in, you know, Ethiopia, India, Rome, Greece, I mean, all that. Um, so depending on where the slave came from, obviously they would have different features. They would look different. So like you said, you have black slaves, you have white slaves, you had them from all over. So certain slaves that were more aesthetically appealing in the eye of whatever beholder, uh, you know, thought that a lot of times they would be selected to be performers. Uh, your military slaves were quite often free men that um, perhaps they committed a crime or perhaps they were in debt. 
And so they could essentially sell them their, themselves into slavery. Um, but a lot of time, times the military slaves were considered like the aristocratic slave, you know, because they had a better chance of getting educated. They were trained and groomed specifically for the military. So eventually they could hold positions in the military. Um, and so when you start to kind of think about those things and kind of unpack it, then essentially you may have a military slave who could have colonized a portion of America as a slave owner who may, you know, or whose family could have been um, come from a family of military slaves over, you know, centuries. So that creates another shift and another element with slavery because now you have division within slaves themselves. You have the aristocratic slave that's better, you know, or that actually has power in the military that has influence. Um, you have the performer slave who never really labored in that time because again, economic production wasn't the thing, but you know, I'm a performer, but this slave has to clean the house. Like, are you better than me? Like you're still a slave. So that creates that division amongst slaves themselves. So those are some really notable shifts in the emotional element of slavery where it takes out that initial, um, you know, desire for slavery. Um, like you said, most of them were captured in the early, early days um, during, you know, whenever they were expanding territories. Sometimes they were also given as a tribute. So you had some empires that had, forgive me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, I believe it's vassal or basal, um, but basically you have these states that are almost like sub, like it's almost like they have an agreement with this empire that every year I'm gonna send you a levy of, you know, 20 slave boys. And so um, sometimes that's how empires acquire slaves as well. They had those agreements, but the most notable is the purchasing of slaves. And, um, you know, that came from a lot of the merchants uh, like you said earlier, you had a lot of tribes in Africa and in different um, areas in the early, early, you know, centuries that were fighting. And so there were lots of prisoners of wars, there were lots of captives, and that's exactly what they would do. You have the slave trade route, and it kind of makes this triangle that starts in Europe, where they bring the goods, they bring things to Africa. Um, cloths, um, you know, uh, just all kinds of goods they bring and they basically trade them for slaves or, or, or purchase slaves. And sometimes you had middlemen that kind of knew their way between states and villages and they would kidnap slaves. So there's another shift in slavery, I mean, you have this hot commodity, you have empires rapidly expanding. So of course you're gonna have people that are gonna essentially bootleggers, right? That are gonna kidnap children and women from remote villages and people and bring them. Um, right, and one of the biggest um, shifts that I kind of came across was in the late 17th century in the United States specifically, 
when slavery changed um, from, okay, you're, the person gets basically enlisted as a slave, um, but, but that doesn't apply to their offspring. And then in the late 17th century, it went to race-based hereditary slavery based on the mother's race. And so based on your race, you were then deemed a slave if you were the off if your mom if your mother was a slave the the offspring was then deemed a slave because it was hereditary based slavery which was a really that was an unprecedented change that was that went started the path down a really bad road mm-hmm. right and basically from then on it sort of incremental law changes sort of reduced more and more of black people's rights and and led to the belief that black people were inherently inferior to whites. And this is sort of where the root of racism comes from. It was that, that slippery slope and these messages put into society um, of, of, certain, of certain races being inferior to others was essentially a tool used to justify the brutality and reinforce the dehumanization, which further justified slavery. Mm-hmm. And you know, it really was a psychological ploy uh, to the point where they even tried to convince the slaves themselves that they weren't human. And this is where this really dark place in American slavery goes as a way to kind of cling on to something that I think people started to realize this is wrong. The only way you can reduce that feeling is to dehumanize people and say these people are less than human. So they're, they're, we need to keep them slaves. And that's where things get really, really dark and I think that's where, you know, it's trying to understand, like, how the heck did we allow, did, was that allowed to happen? How were, you know, how were sane people um, manipulated to believe in these things and to allow society to go in this direction? And, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's important to, we don't need to dwell and be stuck on the fact that, you know, I, and we'll talk about um, privilege next and how some of the things that, uh, some of the accrued benefits of those p- time periods in history um, might s- like still have some effects that are leading to certain um, certain disparities today. Not not totally related, not only related to that, but it's definitely a part of it. So it's important to know the history to learn from it, right? When when there's a really big stain on history's sort of transcript, it's important to understand it enough to to see like, okay, well, how did how did this happen? Like, could this have been prevented? What are things that could have been done to mitigate it? Um, you know, was this just a less educated society or was this um, just a, a thought virus that, that was propagated through society? And how, you know, how can we learn from that to avoid it from happening again? And I think um, it's never fun to talk about slavery because we all feel, have these negative emotions and feelings that this is very wrong to view another human as property. Um, yeah but it doesn't change the fact that it happened and that by understanding it, we can have a sort of deeper meaning of that in our personal story and our personal understanding of it. Yeah, I agree. And I think those are some, you know, really important takeaways is that, you know, just knowing, you know, what slavery is, you know, where, how long it's been around, what exactly was it used for knowing that slaves were diverse. Again, they came from, they ranged from Central and Eastern Europe all the way to North Africa and in between. Um, knowing how they were acquired, you know, those are all very important things because you need to you need to be able to understand that 
you know, there, there's an intent and then there's also the reality, like you said, in the very, the very, very beginning. And so you have to understand that there's people that have lived on both ends of that spectrum in slavery. There's the intent and then the people who lived a different reality. Um, you know, and just knowing that not only were there different types of slaves, different types of people owned different types of slaves, you know, everywhere from Jews and Christians and pagans alike um, within the, the empires. Um, you know, I think when it comes to the, the human aspect of slavery, and especially in the ancient times, one of the really pivotal shifts when it came to the humanitarian efforts in slavery came from actually um, the Arab empire. Uh, the prophet Elijah Muhammad, peace be upon him, um, he, you know, they, they acquired slaves in, in the early time, you know, with capturing um, during warfare and while they were expanding. At some point, he expressed, which was later confirmed. So it was established through Quranic uh, legislation, but it was later kind of confirmed in the, the holy law. But basically saying that, um, you know, the natural condition and the presumed status of mankind is freedom. Just like the basic rule concerning actions is permittedness. And so unless you were born to a slave mother or you were captured, then it was basically a given that you were a free person. And it was urged to treat others, you know, to treat your slaves as you would treat yourself and to be benevolent to them. But we all know that that isn't always the reality, um, although that is what is urged. But he actually made some really um, interesting changes with regards to slaves. Um, one of the only empires that even protected, um, you know, people of different faiths that were slaves and actually had rights. So he made a lot of a lot of um, shifts when it came to the humanitarian efforts, and that in the a weird way it kind of hurt the empire because there were so many ways that you could become free. Um, you could become free if someone freed you, if you converted to Islam, it wasn't required, but if you converted, you were free. Um, they basically, again, had a presumption of freedom. Uh, they enforced a slave, they, a slave ban, so there was no more enslavement by this empire. So it, there was kind of a loophole with that. Um, instead of them enslaving people, they would import slaves. And so it kind of took the, uh. the heat off of them, you see. Um, so if they needed eunuchs or, you know, to, to um, protect the palaces or the women, they would have them imported to the frontier. Um, but anyway, so their slave population ended up being drained by them freeing so many slaves. And then you have people converting to Islam and becoming free. So then that also explains why that, you know, why Islam was a religion that just grew so rapidly as well. Um, and so with that being happen, happen, um, with that happening as a consequence, 
you know, people and slaves were basically rapidly absorbed into the general population. But they had a lot of humanitarian shifts. Um, but it, again, it it had such a a mixed effect um, with how they acquired slaves. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think that gives a pretty good sort of chat about slavery because, I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the first episode, but I think it's always good to um, just share interesting things that we're learning as we're trying to expand our understanding and with some broader context on topics um, like slavery. But maybe a good place to go now is uh, talk about the, the concept of privilege, because I think this is something, this word in our modern day has gotten a significant spotlight. I think it's depending on how it's used um, and how people define it. Um, I think there's a significant element that polarizes people with this word, right? Um, When someone says that you have some unearned privilege, it can very easily put up walls and defensiveness um, to try and defend why you don't have privilege or feel like you don't have privilege instead of just trying to listen to the other person and hearing their perspective. Um, Because I, you know, it seems like a lot of, a lot of terms these days are being applied as blanket statements. And I think there's an inherent flaw with that oversimplification because it doesn't apply to everyone. You can say that there is a trend in society that is seen through, you know, this evidence, but I think we need to, I think let's, I think it would be good to spend some time on this word. So maybe let's start with what is, when someone says privilege, what does privilege mean to you? You know, this is such a, a great place to start, especially specifically in the moment where we are with, you know, everything that's happening. Um, you know, privilege is, there's a difference between privilege and resources. And so I, I think, I really believe just based on a lot of the conversations I've had with people and some of the dialogue that I see on social media concerning white privilege, um, there are a lot of white people who, you know, I I saw specifically a comment um, and I believe it may have been on the Foot Collective's Instagram handle. And it was in response to, I believe, a post. And so it was kind of like a little thread, but Um, you know, someone was mentioning that she was a a Caucasian woman and she mentioned how she was really struggling, you know, growing up and she didn't have, um, you know, the things that that some of the people around her had. She had to really work to put herself through school and to really survive. And um, she even said that she applied for, you know, federal and state aid to certain to a certain extent and she didn't qualify and so it was kind of her what I kind of felt from her was like you know just explain to me what privilege I have and when I read that it kind of fit into the same sort of dialogue that I hear amongst people when the word white privilege is said and for me you know I and I I hope this brings some clarity as well but white privilege doesn't mean that you have white resources. 
it doesn't mean that you're born, that every white person was born with, you know, um, a, a big mansion or a home, or basically they have this starter kit to life, you know, with the ho- a house and a car and all that. So that isn't what white privilege is um, because white people have experienced the same thing with having a lack of resources and a need in different areas in the communities and individually. But privilege is means basically that your skin color isn't a determinant in some of the, the quality, the accessories of life. So education, getting a job, um, a lot of different races, when they go to fill out applications, their heart skips a beat when it asks, what's your race? And they have to fill in that there's something other than white for fear that they won't get a call back for that job. So that's an example of what white privilege is. Is It doesn't mean that the white person who applied to that job like you, you can have, you know, toe to toe, pound for pound, the same exact credentials. But the difference is when it comes to the race portion, you can color in that bubble and keep going and not worry about this. Me filling in this bubble might impede me from getting this job. Right. And I think there's even underlying things like, for example, People should be judged based on ability, not based on factors that they are born with that they can't change, right? Like you should not be penalized for having blue eyes versus brown eyes. You should not be penalized for being a male versus a woman. The ability of the thing you're applying to in in your context should be the focus, not race. And it almost begs the question, why is race even being asked on that form? Like yeah. what, what significance does that piece of data have? And even if the person is not biased, what if a, a biased person was the one judging that form? Why even give the opportunity to have a bias on race? You know, right. And I think, you know, even the word privilege, you know, privilege, the, the definition of, of just privilege is a special right or advantage or immunity granted or available only to a particular person or group. So you have some sort of advantage granted to you because you're part of a group, not because of anything you've earned. It's because of the, of, of you're just part of a group. In this case, we're talking about skin color. Now, I mean, privilege can be applied to a lot of things, right? Um, You can have, if you're tall, you have a height privilege over people who are short. So you can say that privileged people, people that are height privileged uh, have an unfair advantage to be selected for sports like basketball. Right. Um, you can have a, a privilege in terms of where you live, uh, the class that you're born into. You know, I was born into a mid to um, affluent family, and that is a a privilege I was granted by no means of what I of what I have personally done or accomplished. It was simply because I won a lottery and I was born into a white middle to upper class family. Now, I think there's a difference between saying, you know, the, the and the, your example of that white person that applied for aid and was really sounds like they probably had a lot of challenges in their life that many other people wouldn't have. Um, You know, I think people feel like their experience is discounted. When you say white privilege and a white person that's have a really hard life, it doesn't discount the fact that white people, some white people still have hard lives. Yeah. 
it doesn't discount that experience. And I think that's instantly where people's minds go when they get defensive saying like, I've had a hard frigging life. I was abused as a child. I lived in a trailer park, you know, whatever the case might be. This is the problem with these massive blanket statements because they, they discount the role of individual lived experiences. Yeah. Right. Like Kevin Hart's son has significantly more privilege in terms of wealth, status, geography, than a person who was born in, in, a white family in Alabama below the poverty line. Mm-hmm. But it, we don't throw the whole term out because of that. We just have to be mindful of the nuance, right? Nice. And, I th- and I think one thing with privilege is, you know, if you have an advantage, does that advantage come to the disadvantage of others? That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a big question, right? Yeah. Because you can have a privilege. You can be tall, great. But if, if you being tall is coming at the expense of short people, then that's one thing. But you being tall, just saying that as a fact is a totally neutral thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think the question is not, you know, I, I certainly agree with the fact that with the assertion that people with white skin can potentially continue to benefit from privileges that white skin confers from our historical record, right? But It's also important to note that class or geography are significantly better predictors of outcome than skin color. And it works both ways because if as a black person, you are constantly fighting with the overlying, like overarching premise that you will have disadvantages because you're black, like how do we solve it? Right. That's, this is the question. Okay. We know that white people, today are probably, you know, if you weren't able to accumulate wealth because your lineage was based on, um, like if your great grandparents were slaves and they weren't allowed to accumulate wealth, or if your grandparents lived through the era of Jim Crow and they weren't able to accumulate wealth because of literally racist institutional laws from back then, that's one thing. And we have to acknowledge that, but are, is today, are all of the differences in outcomes today, based on having white skin. And that's where I think the data will say, you know, I'm reading um, Thomas Sowell's work right now, discrimination um, and disparities. And he uses data to show that not all disparities between people of white skin and black skin can be just shown to be strictly due to discrimination. There are many factors, cultural factors, economic factors, um, social factors that contribute to these disparities as well. So. You know, I think it's topics like this that can evoke a sense of defensiveness and that are also so general that they can be ambiguous in terms of how you define it, how you speak of it. That's where a lot of the polarization comes from because saying that you don't think white privilege is the only source of problems, you know, people can say, well, you're just saying that because you're white. And Mm -hmm. that's where some of the divisiveness comes from is the unwillingness to listen to that person's perspective and why they're saying that. And then trying to make sense together to come to a point where you can both form a better understanding, right? Come closer together in your understanding to actually have a conversation. And the sad reality is social media is not a medium that permits that. And in fact, will actually incentivize people arguing because that gets more of people's attention. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big problem because it's literally becoming an obstacle. The greed and the desire to make money by stealing people's attention, by hijacking their emotions is creating a divisiveness that is becoming an obstacle to solving our problems. And this is, this is a really disturbing thing that I've learned this past week.
taking a week off Instagram to learn about Instagram and social media and how it works and how these companies make billions of dollars has shown me that polarization, extremism, outrage, these are all tools by design used by social media to get them to essentially capture more of people's attention. But it's also destroying our social fabric, right? That's just a, that's just a, a symptom of making shitloads of money by stealing people's attention. A symptom, a byproduct of that is we are disconnecting from each other more than ever. And I think that's something that's not talked about very much. Yeah, of course. And, and, you know, it's really interesting that like what you said, you took off, you know, took a week from social media, um, you know, and even thinking a little bit deeper amidst all this, the COVID happenings right now, it's really isolating a lot of people. And, um, you know, we always talk about perspectives, right, Nick? We always, you know, kind of bring things back to that. And while there are a lot of psychological implications that, you know, are happening because of COVID, people not being able to get out, um, being isolated and also taking a week off from social media, those are all really great opportunities. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying in the first podcast, you know, I went to a small business meeting one day, um, business 101, how to start a business. And this was years and years ago. But um, he said to me, most people miss opportunities because they're dressed in overalls and it looks like work. And so it takes work to think critically. Sometimes it takes a lot of work just to grasp the concept of emotional intelligence and then to be able to dig into it and start to unpack it and live it. And then once you get all that down pat, now it's like you can see through the smoke. You know, when you take Mm -hmm. that week away from social media, um, when you take that break, you can actually sit back and almost, it's almost like when you're in a room and you, you see two people arguing or you're looking at, you know, Real Housewives, whatever on TV, And as the person on TV, you always have like the best view because you can see oftentimes both sides of the fence. And so there's such beauty in taking a step back. And and there's power, I believe. There's always power in the pause. You know, when you can pause life, when you can pause when you're talking to someone or listening to someone. So there's a moment where you can sit back and think about these things. And like you said, when you take that time, it really helps to foster an environment um, and a ripe, you know, field for really looking deep down inside, introspective thinking, critical thinking, and just like I said, thinking for yourself. And that way, when you are presented with facts from social media and you see all the arguments, you can see through the smoke, you, you have enough emotional intelligence to be able to say, okay, you know what, I've lived this experience, I've lived that one, maybe you've had a little bit of both, but you can step back and project your, your emotions in a, in a productive way. And like you said earlier, just channeling that emotional energy into making a difference, um, making a change or seeking more facts so that you can start to act. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, social media is a beast, man. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's unfortunate because you know I think you know we're we we're we embarked on this journey to develop TFC app, 
late last year. And, you know, that was one of the big reasons I wanted to learn about this. Cause I was like, okay, well now that there's more people using this, I think, you know, as the person who's doing the primary design role for the app, like I have a responsibility to understand all the bad shit that's happening now in social media and the potential to mitigate those things and eliminate them, but not just that, but actually make a platform that incentivizes collaboration, understanding, empathy, connection. Like we can, we, it just so happens that money has determined how we use technology and how we, um, essentially create this base incentive structure and the model of stealing attention is just a broken model because it's basically, you know, if, if the attention economy is a fixed resource, then you have to do shadier and shadier things to steal people's attention. And you see this in media, right? Like newspapers are struggling because people are more gathering their news on the web. And so they have to do shittier and shittier journaling journalism principles in order to create clickbait to attract people's attention. And so it becomes a race to who can create the most shocking stories instead of the best stories. And it's just the game theory, the structure of how this whole system works is just completely broken. And, but it also creates a massive opportunity to create platforms that connect people, that help people improve their understanding, that empower people with things that they can implement in their lives to improve their lives. And so, you know, I think it's, it's exciting. It's, it's disturbing to see how things are structured right now, but it's also exciting to identify the potential of creating something significantly better. And what I've learned is that the base premise of creating something better requires you to have it be self-funded. You know, Tristan Harris says the free business model is the most expensive business model we've ever created. Because if you're consuming something for free, if you get your email for free, if you get social media for free, you are paying because these companies are making billions of dollars. So how is that money coming about? Well, they're doing it by manipulating you. And so free is actually the most expensive. And that's why trying to keep TFC app self-funded. So there's no investors that need to be taken on, which are going to want to make money, tons of money. By eliminating that, you can actually create a very authentic platform that stays true to its values. And yeah, I just think... It really sucks because I think we have an innate tendency to want to, like humans are innately good. I firmly believe that people are always well-intentioned. Even people that are doing, you know, well-intentioned, virtuous people can do shitty things if they're just misguided, if they're understanding, if there's a gap in their understanding. And like you said, the power of the pause is to to improve self-understanding, which then allows you to better understand others. And this is very important. Like we just have to, there's so much arguing and polarization going on at the exact time where we need unification, not divisiveness. We need to come together and seek understanding instead of simply trying to defend our position. Um, and it's, you know, I think conversations like this where, where there's context, you can actually have a conversation instead of just, a little line of comments where you're just trying to get a jab in to get back at a person that jabbed you. Um, this is the, I think the antidote to the problem is having conversations that include context and creating more opportunities for other people to have conversations um, beyond just social media. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, you know, taking a step back, you know, it just really puts into perspective if you have social media, which is this great opportunity for 
you know, connecting and networking and, you know, business opportunities and X, Y, Z, but you see what is being promoted mostly on social media. Um, it kind of brings things back to what you were saying in the very beginning. Most of the time it's not even, we're not fighting against each other. It's the principles that we're fighting about or we're fighting for. And so when you're able to take a step back and you see this, this, the arguing, the, the different ends of the spectrum of, you know, of what's happening. Um, it really, it, it just really, I don't know. It, it just allows you to say, wow, this entity is, or whatever, this person is using this energy to do this. And you can see who's using their energy and resources to make a difference. And so the power in the pause is you being empowered to make your own decisions when it comes to, you know, anything, any aspect of your life, you know, we all have experiences and we all have certain things that happen to us in life that are beyond our control. And sometimes that's even in regard to the information that we're being fed. Um, but the power in the pause is you grasping control and, and knowing that I actually have the power to make a decision. So in the midst of the polarization that's happening on social media, in the midst of whatever argument you're having or problem or issue that's going on, at some point, despite your life experiences, despite what you've been taught or things that have been done to you that were beyond your control, there is a point in your life where you have that pause and you have to know that that is the sliver in any situation where you have control and where you have that split second to make a decision. So there are situations where, you know, we want to make a decision to do something and we, maybe we can at that time, you know, but again, just taking that time and say, you know what, I have a decision right now. And despite my feelings or my experiences, I want to make an effort because I'm interested in making a change. I'm interested in knowing what this person has experienced or what they have to say. And, you know, that pause gives you that time to say that. And I think there's so many people rely on crutches, you know, um, oh, I heard this from this, or this is where I base my information off of this X, Y, Z. And sometimes it's really disturbing when you can talk to someone and, the information and the knowledge that they've acquired has stopped at what someone told them, yeah. you know, and sometimes that happens when you, when you trust someone and you, and you love someone. Um, we all have people in our life like that, where they can tell you something, they can tell you the sky's purple and you trust that person so much and love them that that sky could be as blue as day and they could tell you it's mud brown and you'd be like, yep, I, you're exactly right. It's mud brown, you know, right. But you still have the power of the pause. You still have a, that sliver of moment where you say, hmm, let me go see what color it is. Or let yes. me just, you know, and so you can't rely on social media to feed you. You can't rely on, um, you know, just your friends. It's an honor to be trusted. It's an honor for people to be able to trust your leadership and what you say. Um, but you have to do the work as a human. 
that's the duty that we have to each other is to to love each other and to work to understand each other to share experiences so that we can be there for one another um so yeah yeah and that and i think it a lot of it boils down to personal responsibility where we have to instill these values of taking responsibility for your lived experience radical responsibility and knowing that yes there will be obstacles and those obstacles might not be equally distributed amongst people of different classes amongst people of different races and we should all try and work towards making sure that the obstacles are evenly distributed and that someone is not you know a certain group of people are not facing bigger obstacles than others but simply saying that the obstacles are there without really looking into the specifics of how those obstacles manifest um, and just admitting that nothing can be done because they're so deeply rooted, that ends up being a very self-defeating mindset because not only are you not promoting solutions, but you might be viewing that obstacle as an excuse not to take personal responsibility. Yeah. And, and so we just, we have to have a broader conversation that um, many people have, have come from extremely poor circumstances to succeed hugely in life. In fact, I would say that most people that are very successful have had hard lives and that's part of what made them have the drive to be successful. Yeah. And we need to admit that there are problems. This world is imperfect. We also need to admit that not all disparities between um, cultures and races are all due to external pressures that are purposely being placed there as, some, as part of some bigger agenda. Some of that stuff might be relic, relics of an older time where there were significant race, racially based problems. But we've come a long way, right? Like someone the other day I heard say, yeah, we, we're basically the same in the same place we are when we had slavery. And I was like, that is such a, a toxic statement because it's clearly not true. I understand that what they're trying to say is we still have problems. And I agree yeah. with that. But we are not the same place that we were when we had slavery. We are not the same place that we were when we had Jim Crow laws. Like we have yeah. come a long way. We are significantly less racist as a society or less discriminatory than we used to be. And we have to, I think sometimes it's easy to forget to dwell on, forget to say that we've come a long way. We're not perfect, yeah. but we've come a long way. And we just have to keep focusing on how we can go further along that way to create a better place instead of just complaining about all the problems we need to find solutions and identify are those problems real problems how do they affect me specifically how can i have conversations with people that can help me solve this problem and and yeah just take personal responsibility to to doing your own i call it me search do your yeah. own me search yeah and, and figure it out and connect with your own emotions so that you can have critical, you can do critical thinking, but you can also have critical feeling where you feel your own emotions instead of getting swept up in a sea of emotions that you might be seeing in social media, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. I like that. I like the me search. I, yeah. I really like that. And, and you're right. Um, you know, it just, it, it takes, it takes a lot of effort and it's a lot of work and, yes. you know, it takes a lot of really, you know, just really like, we're just like, we keep coming back to say a lot of emotional intelligence, being able to really just take a hold of your emotions and to, to take the effort and interest into listening to people making a change. Um, you know, one thing, 
like we, we stated, you know, we really just want to help people to understand the power and the importance of critical thinking and being able to think for yourself. And, um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, some people, like you said, they, they use, they use their, how do I, how do I, what's the best way that I can make this comparison? You know, with all that's been happening, um, you know, we talked about slavery and with slavery um, happening and, and happening for such a long time, it's like everyone's at the start line. And so once the gun goes off, a group of people were able to almost have a head start. Well, they Definitely. were they, for years. And so it's important to to pause and to look at that situation and to say and, and to understand that, yes, there was a head start there. And people have to, to understand that, um, I apologize, that, that they had a head start. So now that things are moving forward, um, it doesn't enable certain races and certain groups from still being able to make decisions for themselves. Um, there's always going to be factors that are beyond your control. The bias of having to fill in your name on a uh, application that are beyond your control. There's going to be some things that are going to be within your control that are going to inhibit you from progressing as fast as you would in life um, for whatever that is. But it's important to know that despite the things that you've been through and your experiences, you do have a choice to help determine the trajectory of your life and your success and what you deem is successful for your life and your yeah. family. You have to take responsibility for that. You can't rely on situations or experiences to be a crutch. Your life is not, you are not a um, alcoholic by default because you've experienced alcoholism from your dad and your grandfather or whatever, you at some point have that pause to say, you know what, I know what it feels like to be around, you know, someone who drinks and I don't want that. Even though I may be, you know, predisposed to picking up some of those habits or using that as a way to blanket or avoid certain things, um, I have the, the choice to say no and to make changes for the future, for future generations. And it's like that with anything, you have to take accountability and responsibility for where you are today because of what decisions you personally made yesterday. Um, and so I think that's really important, but I also think it's really important to understand and for people to understand the same way when we visited white privilege and we made that difference between privilege and resources it's really important for people to understand as well that not everyone started at the start line at the same time. And so in with that gap and there's groups that are still running behind, it's important for everyone to understand that there's people trying to play catch up. And so while people are trying to play catch up, they're still centuries behind, you know, and, and you have to, and what I mean by that is centuries of establishments being built upon some of those same elements and foundations in a more modern way or ways to cover up 
um, some of the same elements of slavery, just in a more progressive way, in a more modern way, that takes sitting down, being observant, looking through the smoke. And um, all those changes can be made when we come together, when we talk about this stuff, when we have these conversations on podcasts to, to know that, wow, Nick took a break from social media for a week. And wow, this is what he saw, you know, that money is the animus behind a lot of things. There's not really a soul behind it. Someone with a conscience doesn't, you know, they don't have one. And so um, just understanding that that same heart of a person um, can still create illusions um, for, for everything. And it's a systematic and it's a thing that's just been kind of going on and passed down in the heart of, of men, you know, heart of people. And when I say men, not specifically a man, but a human. Um, so it's just important, I think, to make sure that you that people acknowledge that um and the, the same way like i said we decipher resources and privileges just knowing that you know there's in a sense an equal playing field where we all have opportunities but then there's a sense of that where there's there's an inequality being that the head start versus someone you know, not being able to jump off the block when the gun shot. And so how we yep. solve those problems, we don't have all the answers. You know, we can't figure it out in one or two or six podcasts, but it's going to take the efforts of everyone listening that's interested to be able to think through these things and then us come together and make these changes. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I heard that I really loved recently was that every single person's lived experience is valid and important, right? Everyone's lived experience is valid and important. The feelings they have, the opinions they hold, they are all valid to, to, in that, that, that person, you cannot tell that person that they didn't live that experience. They did. And it's subjective. That's just the nature of experience. So instead of discounting it or brushing it off, it's hearing it. And then just be like, okay, there was a head start. When the gun went off, a group of people were able to leave the gates significantly earlier than the others. The gates that are being, you know, the, the races that are being run today are people are leaving the gates at the same time. But there, this head start, you know, if it was the decathlon, okay, there's 10 events. In the first five events, people were held back from leaving while other group went just because the last five events are, are everyone's being able to leave at the same time, it doesn't change the fact that there's a significant head start in the grand scheme of things that needs to be acknowledged. And like you said, it's not, they're not simple solutions, right? And I've heard some really intelligent groups of people, um, you know, panels of people discuss these things, like how do we solve this, right? And from what I've heard, I don't think, it doesn't sound like reparations are a good solution because it, it it basically negate it. You can't just pay a bunch of money and then just brush it off as like, okay, it's solved. Cause that's not, that doesn't actually solve the problem. It's what areas are still showing the consequences of the past hundred years and the really messed up things that we were done. And how do we devote more resources to those areas? How do we improve schools and neighborhoods that are significantly disadvantaged still today because yeah. of the, 
the, the head start that everyone else had. And I've heard some really good solutions that take into account a lot of the nuance, right? Like panels of people from all different perspectives, academics, social scientists, where they're like, they basically just put their opinions out there, potential solutions, and then everyone discusses them and points holes in them and points out positives. And everyone is doing this in an objective way where no one's getting emotionally upset because the whole point is if we all come together and put all of our brains together, we are going to come up with significantly better solutions than what we would come up with individually. Yeah. And if we all come into this conversation with the intention of finding a better solution than we could do individually, everyone is motivated to have generative discussions, constructive discussions that build instead of break down. Yeah. And that doesn't happen. And the other thing with social media too that I've learned is that because everyone now has a camera in their pocket, if you take a picture of something, like say, for example, we know I'm making this number up, but one in a million people get struck by lightning. Every single time someone gets struck by lightning, there is a video of it. And so you see hundreds of videos of people getting struck by lightning on social media. If you live in social media, if you spend a lot of time there, it might seem like everyone's getting struck by lightning and you should be scared of lightning. Yeah. <laughs> but that's actually not the reality. Right? Yeah. It's just that is incentivized because when you see someone getting struck by lightning, it's very, it, it, it's very um, visually attractive. Like humans just love to see shocking things that are bad. It's just a, a, it's really sad, but it's a prehistoric wiring that we have because it was way more relevant when something was really bad than if something was really good. What you don't see is all the people that didn't get struck by lightning and how yeah. that is actually the vast majority of people. So when you see something like George Floyd and millions of people see that, it's not to say that that is not a problem. Clearly that's a significantly big problem, but yeah. it seems like that is everywhere because everyone is seeing it. Whereas yeah. you don't see the interactions between police and civilians, whether white or black that went well, you don't see, you know what I mean? So we have this really weird magnifying glass on bad things that might happen as outliers in the grand scheme of things, but can be made to seem extreme as happening extremely frequently. And, and it basically colors our lens of the world to basically see the world as a really bad place with bad people. When in reality, the majority of people are good. The majority of things people do are good, but we are seeing a very weird lens of the world through a medium that automatically incentivizes us seeing bad things. And this is another deeper part of social media where like one thing I noticed this week is my life was significantly more calm and I had more clarity of my life. Significant. Like I knew it would happen a bit, but significantly. Yeah. And just not being on social media and living in the natural world and speaking to real people instead, instead of speaking to other people through my phone automatically made a big difference. So yeah. Yeah. And you know, and social media, you know, like you said earlier, it, it's a great opportunity. I mean, it's a, it's a great opportunity. Now, I will say when it comes to, you know, incidences like George Floyd and, and many others, it's, you know, it's one of those things where any, I mean, you know, in your life when you're doing really, really well, most of the time, you just kind of cruise through life, you know, and um, yeah. you don't have an incentive to really worry about anything, maybe um, be grateful, maybe meditate because you, everything seems to be working. So there's really maybe no incentive for you to sit down and, and just 
think about things. You know, most people go to meditate or pray or whatever when they have issues or problems or things aren't working. Um, and I think, you know, with social media, um, when it comes to the, the bad things that are being portrayed, I mean, you know, know those things. They, but, you know, there's a platform now. And so I think there's a balance. I think there's a balance of, of, of good out there and there's a balance of bad. And I think that it just really all depends on a few factors. It depends on who is in charge of uh, showing, you know, what's being seen. Um, and of course, like I said, when good things are happening, sometimes people, they don't care about the good things, even though that's so like counterintuitive. You want to be able to share happy things and good things, but it gets more attention when, um, when bad things are shown. But also when things are being shown like this, um, this is a platform to say, you know what, these are things that have been happening that when social media wasn't uh, around or at the height of its um, productivity, if you will, um, these things were not able to be seen. And so I do think that people are taking advantages uh, or advantage of the opportunities to bring awareness to issues that otherwise would not have been seen um, unless, you know, social media was there. Um, but again, when it all comes down to the meat and potatoes, I think it just, it really is going to take the effort. It's going to take the effort. It like, I said in the beginning, nothing's absolute. Nothing is just absolute. It's completely all circumstantial. And uh, people's experiences are their experiences. That's their truth. And it just really takes an effort for everyone to come together. There's going to be people who are out there. And I think this is important for people to understand, too. There are people out there who don't want to make changes. Mm -hmm. There are people out there who their desire is to create havoc and create chaos. And if you believe in goodness and you believe that there's good people out there and the world is good, then you have to also know that for every ounce of goodness and for every good person out there, there's an equally bad person or intent on the other end of the spectrum. And that's, mm -hmm. there's a balance there. So if you want proof, Again, look at social media. If they're portraying all the bad things and, and creating this divisiveness, then what would make anyone think that everything's just all good? You know, so there's obviously people who don't want to make changes that um, that are just believe their thoughts and they, they want to hold to their own experiences and that's their truth. And they just really aren't, you know, receptive to other people's experiences or their ideas. And you know, it's not one of those things where you should be disrespectful to the person. You should be mean to the person. You still should extend kindness to that person. That person still deserves respect, even if they don't deserve respect. Uh, they still deserve to be honored, even if they don't deserve to be honored, because that is the standard as a human, right. is to respect people and honor people, even when they're least honorable and least respectable. Um, but those are the things and the attributes that move those mountains. Those are the attributes that dissipate those barriers in communication and the things that are gonna help us to understand their perspective and welcome them and um, 
you know, that might be the only opportunity for that person to have someone that cared enough to say, hey, let me know your perspective. So just maintaining a hold of your emotional intelligence, being kind um, and treating everyone with those values. You know, it sounds so cliche and it sounds like, oh, the golden rule, treat everyone how you want to be treated. But if you you have to understand that emotional intelligence is key to even delving into these conversations or making any change in your life or amongst communities and, you know, other people. Yeah. It's a prerequisite for progress. Absolutely. Yeah. Not live in a vacuum. Our identity is actually not a singular thing. We, our identity is shaped in relation to others. Everything we do is in relation to others. And so emotional intelligence is really, being able to have constructive interactions with others by first identifying your, by first knowing yourself and your tendencies and your, and kind of harnessing your ability to control your emotions, but also by better understanding your emotions, you automatically improve your ability to identify emotions in others. And that's extremely important to ensure that you can be sensitive during conversations to, to read the signals. Because most of the communication that happens between two humans is not based on the words coming out of our mouths. And if that's all you're paying attention to, you're going to be led astray. And so you have to be able to tune in to the nonverbal. You have to be able to have this sort of forgiving attitude that some people will not say the right thing always. And that's okay. And you have to be willing to be forgiving of them because guess what? You're probably going to screw up at some point too. Yeah, if you haven't already. Yeah, exactly. And the only way you can expect forgiveness is if you give forgiveness. Absolutely. That's a big important part that I think we can sometimes get caught up with. You know, you talked about how there are people who don't want change and that are innately not good people. I think they're a minority, but they are still out there. What we have to avoid is targeting the wrong people with that label, right? If the people are on your side and you're arguing on about most issues and you're arguing with them or trying to get them, um, you know, trying to make them look bad just to make yourself look better. You might be targeting the wrong person and it's actually just distracting us from making progress. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I think that was a good, um, I mean, it kind of, we kind of meandered a little bit, but that's how a good authentic podcast goes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this is really good stuff, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, our, our goal is, you know, obviously to, to, to do a little bit of learning and revisit history because Nick didn't listen in, in history. Um, he was too busy, <laughs> you know, looking at girls and all that stuff. So part of this is to impart some knowledge for him. No, I'm kidding. But no, part of it is obviously to share knowledge and, you know, to do that. But yeah, you know, it's just, you know, everyone wants to, a lot of people want to make positive changes. And, yep. um, but, you know, eating right and the, the pillars of health, eating and sleeping and, and exercising and all those things, those are all accessories to health, you know, and although they are pillars to health, what gets overlooked is this part, the gray area, the emotional aspects of even being able to, you know, basically put on the, the wardrobe 
before you put on the accessories. And so it's so important like to, to, to have a hold of this and to really know who you are and as a person, as a, as a soul, you know, really know who you, you, you are. And then once you can do that, these accessories just make everything just look beautiful, you know, and um, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, with these six podcasts, we are trying to help everyone to have on a basic uniform, the basics, the undies and the, you know, <laughs> the basics and then put on the, the clothes and then, then all the accessories of health will just, just make you blossom into this shining rainbow of whimsical colors of a human being. Love it. So. I love it. All right. Why don't we, so Ashley found a beautiful clip of Charlie Chaplin going through this kind of, you know, brief monologue of, of points that I think are super potent at a time like this, because they really encapsulate a lot of what these podcasts are about. Um, and a lot of, I think it gives hope and clarity as to, you know, the deeper layers uh, we we get caught up and focused on arguing about the superficial layers or the more the more surface level stuff, which is important. But the deeper layers, I think these words can resonate with everyone. Um, so why don't we why don't we do two lines each uh, of of these points? Have you got those with you, Ashley? I do. Perfect. So why don't you kick it off? You do two sentences, and then I'll do two. And I think this will be a great way to round off our episodes from now on. Uh, okay. For the idea, because I think that was a, a great idea. Yeah. And I'll, you said you want me to start, right? Yeah, if you'd like. To. Okay. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone. And the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate. Has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We've developed speed, but have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and we feel too little. More machinery, more than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. Beautiful. That was great. I think that turned out well. We don't even have to get the guys to edit it. I think that's a that's a potent paragraph and we should end every episode by saying that because- I, I think, think so. Tough got a lot of juicy stuff in there yeah. that a lot of viewers need to hear. Yeah, I love it. Yes. Any ending notes before we uh, send off for this one, Ashley? Oh, no, I, I, you know, this is so wonderful. I'm so excited to be here. I, I know I always say that um, and I'm just excited for the next one. Awesome. So am I. Thanks for listening to everyone. We hope that that content uh, was valuable and hopefully shed, shed some light on um, you know, some of our insights into our learning journey and uh, perspective on some points. So thanks for listening and we will catch you next week. Oh, so y'all come back here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>